system. This is the passion of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Jesus went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley to the place where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who had betrayed him, also knew the place because Jesus often met there with his disciples. And so Judas brought a detachment of soldiers together with police from the chief priests and the Pharisees. And they came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. And then Jesus, knowing all that was to happen to him, came forward and asked them, Who are you looking for? And they answered, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus replied, I am he. Judas, who had betrayed him, was standing with them. And when Jesus said to them, I am he, they stepped back and fell to the ground. And again Jesus asked them, Whom are you looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answered, I told you that I'm he. And so if you're looking for me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. I did not lose a single one of whom you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's slave and cut off his right ear. The slave's name was Malchus. Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword back into its sheath. Am I not to drink the cup that the Father has given me? And so the soldiers, their officers, and the Jewish police arrested Jesus and bound him. First they took him to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it was better to have one person die for the people. Simon Peter and another disciple followed Jesus. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest, but Peter was standing outside at the gate. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the woman who guarded the gate and brought Peter in. The woman said to Peter, You're not also one of this man's disciples, are you? And Peter said, I am not. Now the slaves and the police had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing around it and warming themselves. Peter also was standing with him and warming himself. Then the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. And Jesus answered, I've spoken openly to the world. I've always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together. I've said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who heard what I've said to them. They know what I said. And when he had said this, one of the police standing nearby struck Jesus on the face saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? And Jesus answered, If I've spoken wrongly, testify to the wrong. But if I've spoken rightly, why do you strike me? Then Anna sent Jesus bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. And those who were standing near the fire asked him, You're not also one of Jesus' disciples, are you? And Peter denied it and said, I'm not. One of the slaves of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with Jesus? And again Peter denied it. And at that moment, the cock crowed.
Then they took Jesus from Caiaphas to Pilate's headquarters. It was early in the morning. They themselves did not enter the headquarters so as to avoid ritual defilement to be able to eat the Passover. And so Pilate went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? And they answered, If this man were not a criminal, we would not have handed him over to you. And Peter said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. And the Jews replied, We're not permitted to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill what Jesus had said when he indicated what kind of death he was to die. Then Pilate entered the headquarters again, and he summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, Do you ask this on your own, or did others tell you about me? And Pilate replied, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priest have handed you over to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. And Pilate asked him, So you are a king? And Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this I was born, and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate asked him, What is truth? After Pilate said this, he went out to the Jews again and told them, I find no case against him. But you have a custom that I release someone to you at the Passover. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they shouted in reply, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was abandoned. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. And the soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they dressed him in a purple robe. And they kept coming up to him and saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And striking him on the face. Pilate went out again and said to the Jews, Look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no case against him. And so Jesus came out, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Here is the man. When the chief priests and the police saw Jesus, they shouted, Crucify him! Crucify him! And Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him. I find no case against him. And the Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law he ought to die because he claimed to be the Son of God. Now when Pilate heard this, he was more afraid than ever. He entered his headquarters again and asked Jesus, Where are you from? And Jesus gave him no answer. And Pilate therefore said to him, Do you refuse to speak to me? Do you not know that I have power to release you and power to crucify you? And Jesus answered him, You would have no power over me unless it had been given to you from above. And therefore the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to release Jesus, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you're no friend of the emperor. Everyone who claims to be a king sets himself against the emperor. When Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment bench at the place called the Stone Pavement, 
Now it was the day of preparation for the Passover, and it was about noon. And Pilate said to the Jews, Here is your king. And they cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! And Pilate asked them, Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, We have no king but the emperor. And then Pilate handed Jesus over to them to be crucified. And so they took Jesus. And carrying the cross by himself, he went out to a place called the Place of the Skull, which is called Golgotha. And they crucified him. And with him, two others, one on either side, with Jesus between them. And Pilate also had an inscription written and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read the inscription because the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Hebrew, in Latin, and in Greek. And then the chief priests and the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write King of the Jews, but this man said I am the King of the Jews. And Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his clothes and divided them into four parts, one for each soldier. They also took his tunic. Now the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from the top. And so they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots to see who'll get it. This was to fulfill what the scripture says. They divided my clothing among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. And that's what the soldiers did. Meanwhile, standing near the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing beside her, he said to his mother, Woman, here is your son. And then he said to the disciple, Here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. After this, when Jesus knew that all was now finished, he said, in order to fill the scripture, I'm thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there. And so they put a sponge full of the wine on a branch of hyssop and held it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the wine, he said, it is finished. And then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Since it was the day of preparation, the Jews did not want to leave the bodies on the crosses during the Sabbath, especially because that Sabbath was a day of great solemnity. And so they asked Pilate to have the legs of the crucified men broken and the bodies removed. Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with Jesus. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead, and they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once blood and water came out. He who saw this has testified so that you also may believe. His testimony is true, and he knows that he tells the truth. 
These things occurred so that the Scriptures might be fulfilled. None of his bones shall be broken. And another passage of Scripture says, they will look on the one whom they have pierced. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, though a secret one because of fear of the Jews, asked Pilate to let him take the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. And so he came and he removed the body. Nicodemus, who had first come to Jesus by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, weighing about a hundred pounds. They took the body of Jesus and wrapped it with the spices in linen cloths, according to the burial custom of the Jews. Now there was a garden in the place where Jesus was crucified, and in the garden there was a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. And so because it was the Jewish day of preparation, the tomb was nearby, and they laid Jesus there. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Please be seated. Because tonight is Good Friday, I've titled my talk this evening, Good Friday, What Really Happened and Why Is It Good? What really happened and why was it good? Now, we all know, of course, that uh, it was on Good Friday that Jesus died, but the question is, what was it that really happened when Jesus died? And what God says to us in the Scriptures is that what really was happening on Good Friday is that Jesus died as our substitute. He just didn't die as a martyr for his cause, but he was dying as a substitute for us. Certainly this is the truth that lies behind St. Paul's famous saying from Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20 when he said this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in my flesh, in my humanity, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And when Paul says that the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me, that's substitution. And this is certainly what God says of Jesus when he speaks through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 53, as, as Beverly just read it for us moments ago. In Isaiah 53, and beginning at verse 3, he was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne what? Our griefs. He carried our sorrows, and yet we esteemed him smitten, stricken of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him the chastisement, the punishment that was due to us. By it he brought us peace and by his wounds we are healed. 
All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one of us to his own way. And the Lord, Yahweh, laid upon him the iniquity of us all. In his first letter, the apostle Peter speaks of Jesus in a similar way. No doubt he had the 53rd chapter of Isaiah in mind when he wrote, For Christ has suffered for you. That's substitution. He wasn't suffering because of his sins. He's suffering because of ours. The penalty that was due to us is placed on him. For Christ has also suffered for you. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. And when he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he, did you hear any of that in what we just read? He reviles no one. When he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten anyone. But he continued to entrust himself to the one who judges justly. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. He bore our sins, not his sins, our sins in his own body upon the tree. That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep. It's right out of Isaiah 53. For you were straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Even Jesus himself said as much when he said famously in Mark chapter 10 and verse 45, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so Jesus died as our substitute. And he did it willingly. Indeed, when Jesus suffered, he made no objection. He made no complaints, but did it willingly. In fact, he said to Peter, put away your sword. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has assigned that I should drink it? And 700 years before he said that, the prophet said he was oppressed and he was afflicted and yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. There it is again, the lamb, the lamb that takes away the sins of the world. Christ, our Passover lamb who sacrificed for us. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is before its shears silent. In fact, when they're shearing sheep, all you hear is those electric clippers, isn't it? <laughs> they don't even bother to bleat. And as a, like a sheep that is before its shear is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And so Jesus died as our substitute, and he did so willingly. And not only that, but Jesus died as our substitute according to the will of God the Father. Isaiah 53, beginning at verse 9. They made his grave with the wicked. He died like a wicked man, a wicked man's death. And he was with a rich man in his death. Joseph of Arimathea is right there, 700 years before anybody knew who Jer Joseph of Arimathea was. And Nicodemus was a rich man too. They made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence 
and there was no deceit in his mouth. He only ever spoke the truth. Yet it was the Lord's will, Isaiah says. It was the will of the Lord to crush him and to put him to grief. Interestingly enough, Peter also mentions God's sovereign will relative to Christ's death in his famous sermon on the day of Pentecost, as it's recorded for us in the second chapter of Acts. In Acts chapter 2 and beginning at verse 22, the apostle Peter says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you all know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Wasn't it a mistake? He's delivered up. He was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified. And killed by the hands of lawless men. And so what really happened on Good Friday is that Jesus died as our substitute. And one might think that, well, that, that, that alone is why Good Friday is good. <laughs> but there's more. Indeed, Good Friday is good because of what it resulted in for Jesus. In fact, the writer to the Hebrews touches on this when we read in the 12th chapter and beginning at verse 1, a word of encouragement, and Jesus as an example, and things said about him relative to his death. But the writer says to the church to which he was writing, therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and in the whole 11th chapter he's talking about all these people who live by faith, and by faith, by faith, by faith, since we're surrounded by all these faithful people, who walked with God, let us also lay aside every weight, anything that would keep us from running strong, and let us, at the, excuse me, lay aside every weight and the sin which so, clings so close to us. And then he says, and so let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Because of the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. This reminds me of one of the most poignant scenes in, in Gibson's The Passion of the Christ. I've mentioned it many times just because it's just so powerful. But you remember, you know, Jesus was going along the, the way of suffering, the Via Dolorosa, and he, fall, he fell underneath the, the weight of the cross. Mary was with John and she was saying to John, get me closer so I can get close to him. And he got her to this alleyway, and it was right at the, at the end of that alleyway where Jesus fell under the knee, underneath the weight of the cross. And she was horrified, and she ran to him. And of course, as the movie went, she was going back in her mind when he was just a boy, and he fell, and like a mother would think. And when she got to him, they were just taking the cross off of him. It's just a bloody, wretched mess. Marred beyond human distinction. And he looked at her with blood in his face and his eyes and he said, Look, mother, I make all things new. For the joy that was set before him, he, he endured the cross. He despised the shame and is seated at the right hand 
of the throne of God. And God through Isaiah speaks in a similar way. Isaiah 53 and beginning at verse 10. And yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him and he, was, and he put him to grief. But when his soul makes an offering for the guilty, he shall see his offspring. When he makes the sacrifice, he will see the difference that it makes. He will see his offspring, those transformed by his sacrifice. He will prolong his days. <laughs> he will rise and he will live forevermore. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand and out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. And so Good Friday is good because of what it resulted for Jesus. But not only that, Good Friday is also good because of what it results in for us if we're true believers. Indeed, the writer to the Hebrews says, as Beverly read it for us, that one of the great results is confidence before God. Indeed, in Hebrews 10 and at verse 19, the writer writes to other believers, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy place, we have confidence to come into God's presence. How? By the blood of Jesus. By the blood he shed on Good Friday. Let us draw near with a true heart and full of assurance of faith. And the writer to the Hebrews says that this confidence that we have before God is ours because God is faithful. Verse 23, Hebrews 10. And let us hold fast, never give up. <laughs> let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised us all of these things is faithful to keep those promises. And our calling as believers, the writer to the Hebrews says, is to be faithful and to encourage others to be faithful. Those last two verses of the lection that was read tonight, Hebrews 10 and beginning at verse 24, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. Who's <laughs> been a problem for 2,000 years, turning up to church. <laughs> let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as, as, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and that all the more, as you see the day, that is the day of His coming, and all the more as you see the day drawing nigh. And so our calling as believers is to be faithful and to encourage others to be faithful, to love, as we talked about last night, and who defines and draws out the parameters and gives definition to Christian love, but Christ to be lovers and to encourage others to love, to do good. We say that on most Sundays, right? To be a benefit and a blessing to everyone we meet. The word benefit is a great synonym for the word good. A good thing is a beneficial thing. To love, to do good, 
to be faithful to the koinonia, to be faithful to the fellowship of the church, to do all of these things. You think about all the times that the Apostle Paul said, and, and teach one another, love one another, serve one another, um, encourage one another. You can't do the one another's if you're not with the one another's. <laughs> to be faithful to the fellowship of the church and to encourage others to do the same and to be ready for the Lord when He returns and to encourage others to do the same. Because the unfolding of redemption doesn't end on Friday. Sunday comes and so will the kingdom when Jesus will judge both the living and the dead. Indeed, to this, the Apostle Paul bear, or Peter bears witness in Acts chapter 10 when he said this, And God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good <laughs> to love and to do good as he did. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. And they put him to death by hanging him on a tree on Friday. But God raised him on the third day on Sunday and made him to appear, not to all of the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he, Jesus, commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge both of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Through his name, to him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. That's why Good Friday is good. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.